Most people have heard of phytoestrogens, but did you know there are beneficial phytoandrogens that mimic and support testosterone and more? The top source of these is pine pollen. If you're looking for 100% natural hormonal support for men and women, you've got to try this. Right now, Lost Empire Herbs' best-selling pine pollen is available for one penny plus shipping and handling. Go to GeniusPollen.com to find out more and grab yourself a bag today. No hidden charges, no trial offer, no shenanigans. Just a low-cost way to try Lost Empire Herbs' top product for next to nothing. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have, uh, well, her full name is Kathleen Tilush. Uh, she goes by Katie. She's the founder and CEO of uh, Tilush Family or Tilush Family Farm. Uh, they make gourmet mushrooms, microgreens, edible flowers, and uh, they wholesale direct to chefs at least. They're on YouTube. You can find them, you know, by putting that name in. And their website is TalushFamilyFarm.com. So, Katie, thanks for coming. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, tell me a bit about your background. How did you get into farming? You know, ironically, I was a dental hygienist for 15 years and I had a very successful career. Loved it. And in the beginning, you know, when I first married my husband, John, he, I, I swore I had a brown thumb. And he kind of built this quick little garden for me. And I soon became very passionate about it. And, you know, there was, there's something to be said about, you know, watering it, watching it grow, and then being able to put it out for dinner for my kids or my husband. And it's just the passion that has just grown and cultivated through the years. And, and now it's, I'm a full-time mom, full-time farmer, and wow. I'm loving every minute of it. <laughs> That's really cool. How has it, um, how has it changed like your family dynamic and your day and your life and your, your relationship with your husband? I hope it's not too personal, but has it changed any of those things? And if so, how? No, not well, some of them, I should say. So for anyone who's listening, we are in indoor agriculture. So I think something we said is that everything we do is indoors. It's always sunny and 70 here, 365 growth. We live in Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia, and there is four seasons here. So it's, it's kind of fun to be able to grow something in the middle of a blizzard and eat it. And that said, the square footage of our farm is around, in total, around 1,200 square feet. And the square footage of our living spaces, which is completely separate, is almost exact. So we've actually given up about half of our living spaces in order oh, to wow. facilitate this. Yes. So has that changed a little? I mean, in terms of space, the dynamic between my husband and I... I love John. I'm obsessed with him. He's such a great guy. We, we grew up together. We used to watch school together in like seventh grade. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. We, uh, we've been married now almost 13 years next month and he's the COO here. I mean, I dream it and he mechanically d- just develops it and his brain. I mean, he's a fascinating guy, the things that he manages and helps me. And, and the partnership is, you know, it's awesome. You know, we're, we're super in love and we both love what we're doing and so, you know, working together, it just comes very naturally to us. And it's, it's been wonderful. And, you know, my kids, we have two toddlers. 
Oliver and Lady, they are three and four Irish twins. And they also love it. The things that they're learning and, and they're out in the garden digging and scrubbing rocks. And then they come inside and ask, and ask if they can eat a flower and show their friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's very cool. So, yeah, can you recap? What, what do you grow? Uh, so, okay, so we are a three-part farm. We do gourmet mushrooms, edible flowers, and microgreens. Um, to sort of go in a little bit more detail of that, we... On the mushroom side of things, we've cultivated probably over 12 to 13 different species, but on the wholesale side, on a mass production, we sell four different color oyster mushrooms, which would be a brown, a yellow, a blue, and a white, and the king trumpet oyster mushrooms as well. But we have played around with you know everything from maitake to lion's mane, and, and they all are amazing mushrooms, but in terms of space and size and production, that's sort of why we chose those. On the microgreen side, we have probably over 18 different varieties on the menu on, on that end. And then on the mic, on the edible flower side, we have probably around 35 different varieties, but I actually just ordered like another 10 to 15 more. So we're always kind of expanding that. Oh, well, as a, I guess as a public quick idea, I just interviewed uh, Robert Bielman. He's like a professor emeritus and he studied mushrooms and growing vegetables for a long time. And he's, he's uh, he has a protocol, I guess, where he hits the mushrooms with ultraviolet light. He pulses it. I don't know how he does it or how long or anything, but he's been able to uh, get the mushrooms to grow uh, certain compounds like ergothionine and to change wow. the color sometimes and to produce like vitamin D and you know, from what I gather in the interview. So it's interesting. It Maybe something for you to look into in yeah. the future. Mushrooms don't actually have much nutrient content unless you cook them. So in order to cook, you know, once you cook them, you release all that. So he's probably found a way to potentially maybe bring all of those vitamins out without cooking them. So that, that's fascinating. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, if, if you don't mind, I, I haven't really talked to people about mushrooms much. I've talked a little bit about microgreens, a little bit about vegetables, which we'll get to. But mushrooms, I don't hear a lot of people growing them. Are they difficult? Like, what are some of the nuances involved in it? They, they are. They, so I should say that the type of mushroom you're growing matters a lot in terms of, you know, we're constantly monitoring humidity, temperature, airflow, oxygen. So mushrooms, fun fact, they're actually more like humans than any other, we'll say vegetable or flower that you can think of in the sense that they breathe in oxygen and they release carbon dioxide. So they, they work just like us that they, if they don't have enough oxygen, they will not thrive. And so they also don't like to compete with a lot of other bacteria. And so you, there's a, there's a lot of pasteurization processes, there's sterilization processes, you know, all of that stuff can be very quickly uprooted with the introduction of a combating bacteria. So a lot of it is sterile work and, and figuring all that out. My, my medical background really helps facilitate that practice. So it was, it was perfect fit actually. Can you, um, can you keep them near your plants or do they have to be totally segregated? They are. Well, so funny, you know, the microgreens uh, complement them based on the fact that they release oxygen. However, the mushrooms are separated because they are within a fruiting chamber. So a cultivated block can be out, you know, as it's cultivating, I should say, it can be out in room temperature and be around as it's coming to fruition, if you would say. Once you need it to flush, you have to give it the perfect environment. And that would be you know, dialed in temperatures, dialed in timing of, of humidity and circulation of air. So, you, you, and you also, they produce spores. So you have to extract that air. So you have a negative pressure in the fruiting chamber. I know this all sounds kind of crazy, but it's a lot to monitor. 
but th- no, they, they don't hurt the plants per se. It's not that it's just getting them to flush 365, you know, so this summer we've had degrees of, you know, hundred uh, 95 to hundred degrees temperature, you know, a mushroom would never grow in that kind of temperature. And so you have to make sure that you give it that, that sweet spot to, to get it to, to grow. Well, are the spores um, hazardous for, you know, you to breathe in or you know, how yes. do you have to treat the spores? So uh, the spores, you know, every human day-to-day life, we can, we, we do, and we ingest spores, but on that massive level, it can create actually something called spore lung, where it actually makes you feel like you're kind of sick, like you're getting a cold. And so we are very diligent about wearing the respirators that, that are involved when working within the tent for a long period of time. Um, and then the negative pressure actually draws those spores outside of the tent uh, that are in the air. It's filtered, it's cleaned, you know, it's, it's definitely something you have to work at. Wow, I didn't realize that. So is mushrooms like a more advanced thing for people to grow on their own? Do you recommend that? I don't know, it doesn't yes. sound like people should start with it, but you know, <laughs> like the, I uh, guess the Pareto maybe is what? Microgreens easiest, then vegetables, then, then what? In terms of the way we grow it, um, our, you know, our, our edible flowers are on a seven wall aeroponic vertical system that's fully automated. So for me, they're, they're pretty hands off outside of harvesting um, and making sure the nutrients are dialed in for the right uh, parts per million. So, so they would be kind of hands off if someone was trying to grow them outside. I mean, sure. If you have the proper season, a flower is just as easy as growing, you know, a squash, right. Indoors where you kind of create trickiness and then, you know, microgreens. Yeah. That's something you can grow on your windowsill very quickly as well. That's probably next step up. Um, they do require watering every day. So that is something you have to sort of commit to. And then, although we're trying to work on an automation for that as well. And then the mushrooms that they are, they are definitely difficult. I, I've seen people like do them out of like buckets and like trash bags. Of course, you can grow them on old logs if you have them on your property with like a spore plug. But again, it has to be the proper temperature. The spore plug may fail. It's, it's definitely a finicky one for sure. <laughs> So if, if you don't mind, can you just recap the mushrooms? Like what are the stages that they go through? What are they called? And, and what are just like the basics of what needs to be done? Just out of sure. curiosity. Absolutely. Um, okay. So phase one is like an agar plate. It's going to be the most condensed organic su- supreme cellular fungus. From there, you can extract it and put it into a liquid culture, which from there makes it a lot more pliable to place into a, the next stage would be in spawn, which we use ryeberry grain. That spawn, once cultivated by the fungus from the liquid culture that you've put on it, will be put into a fruiting block. Our fruiting blocks are made of hard oak wood pellets and soy holes and a combination of measured water. And then from there, the spawn cultivates that that mixture. I mean, that, that mixture is different for each mushroom species, but they cultivate that in fire block. And then from there, you open it and you put it in the fruiting chamber for flush. Hmm, okay. Most supplements are taken on faith and can take weeks or months to have an effect. Even supplements backed by scientific studies may or may not deliver those same benefits to you. But what if you could feel the results of what you took within just a few days? Lost Empire Herbs offers the highest quality, wild-harvested, non-irradiated pine pollen, and that can dramatically impact your hormones fast. Right now, you can grab it for one cent plus shipping and handling at GeniusPollen.com. A lot of steps. (laughs) How long does that process, all those processes take? And then how long does it take to get the fruiting bodies, the mushrooms that you could clip off and and do something with? 
I mean, start to finish from, from agar all the way to the end is, is a couple of months, to be honest. And we have probably the more aggressive strains being in oysters uh, species. But, you know, like we've cultivated a shiitake block. A shiitake block takes eight months to cultivate a fruiting block. And yeah, so it's really species dependent on how long this process can be. So, and again, it also depends on the environment. You know, things quickly can change or you get bacteria. You know, you can't go back in time. So if some other competing bacteria infects that block, you, you can't get it back. It's done. You, you... <laughs> okay. Well, tell me about the, uh, the edible flowers. I didn't even know that that was a thing. Like who eats them and when and how? Is it just on fancy desserts or meals or how does that work? So our edible flowers, as I said, we have, you know, over 35 different varieties. They go on everything from desserts to entrees, charcuterie boards, catering companies, drinks. They're in cocktails. You can pedal pull them. There's, there's a lot of different options. They're very elegant. They're, they really, really bring up a dish. It's, it's quite wild what our team or family of chefs, as I like to call them, have presented us with, you know, what they've done. And as I said, you know, the, from that little garden that my husband built umpteen years ago when dinosaurs were walking down the road to now, you know, and, and, and that same reward that I got then is still that same reward on this like massive level, seeing these elite chefs playing with our product and then watching what they do with it. It's awesome. It's, it's really the ticket, man. <laughs> Before we get started, I have a quick favor. I've been self-funding the Finding Genius podcast for five years now. I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button and uh, we'll be able to solicit donations uh, to help keep the podcast running and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD, and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the uh, you know the last two years of the whole virus situation. So if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. That would help us tremendously. Give us a thumbs up. And check in the description for Buy Me a Coffee. It's about five bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going, and I love coffee. Thank you. Um, so the, uh, the edible flowers, like, how did you first get the idea and who buys them and uses them mostly? Uh, so how did we get the idea? Uh, so we had early on in our, prior to putting the company stamp on, had played around with hydroponic growing, which is, you know, flood table spaces. And then we verticalized it with an aeroponic system using PVC piping. And we had put that away when we started the microgreens and the mushrooms. And then I noticed just through some of my other fellows that they were, you know, beginning the edible flower route. And I brought our knowledge back of the aeroponic vertical system and pretty much went to town and made it this massive unit that could sustain, you know, a lot of chefs. And then, you know, more again on the microgreen side, you know, the sustainability of it all, you know, you have to be able to produce that every week. So, you know, having the different wall setups, they're, you know, replanted and, and taken care of and, and swapped out as time goes by so that we can constantly provide these types of, you know, species and stuff. But I mean, it was kind of like we took our old knowledge and revamped it. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing more homesteader than, than upcycle, right? <laughs> well, why, um, why hydroponics, not soil, even if it's indoors? And then why'd you go to air to aeroponics? Great question. Very simply put space. So, you know, you, 
you hear the word farm and you often think of, you know, acres of land. And um, in reference, we live, we live about 70 miles or maybe about 25 minutes outside of center city, Philadelphia. And so, you know, the cost of land and the square footage of the home and property is pretty small. You know, we live in just your regular average colonial. And um, so in order to maximize space, you need to go up instead of wide or out. So the verticalization of it allowed us to maximize the square footage that we are given without entering into a commercial lease. Oh, but, but so aeroponics was uh, even more dense than hydroponics, you say? Yes, just because of space utilization. So a hydroponic flood table, there's these big blocks and they grow as if they would grow in the ground, right? And the flood comes up and then it goes down and the flood comes up and it goes down. Whereas the aeroponics that we do in verticalizing it, it's, you know, a sort of a quintessentially think of like a plug. And then it's, it runs fully automated on, on a drip system. And then the oxygen it gets in between the drip system accelerates the growth from the best um, of my knowledge. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, oh, um, when you first started, did you use soil at all or you went straight to hydroponics? Why? Straight, straight hydroponics. You know, soil in time can, you know, introduce issues. You know, it, it has its own nutrients that it would be depleted by. So on a long-term basis, you know, and, and can you imagine me going around watering like 35 hundred different pots like and the space that that would take so the hydroponic system is in a rockable system and alleviates all the need for that soil composition now now don't get me wrong there is some nicks to it so for example if you know soil is very forgiving and and a rock wool is is not it drains quite quickly so you got to think about it i I once said it was like uh, it's like driving a race car you know if if someone gave me a race car could i win the race Maybe, but if I don't know how to drive the car, then I'm not much use, right? So I, you know, I always make sure that, you know, it's not just something you can forget about. I mean, it's, it's got to be constantly watered and, and maintained, not constant in terms of like every second of the day, but you got to make sure that your systems are running correctly. Yeah, um, this is kind of just, again, an idea, but um, I did like a small grow tent, it was probably six years ago, and at the store they had um liquid like mycorrhizae that you add as a nutrient to the into the reservoir i did flood and drain and it seemed to help the plants like tremendously that i was growing you know, radishes lettuce all that stuff mm-hmm. do you do you have any products like that like liquid uh, mycelium that you can add or could you take some of the mushrooms you know once they're at a certain stage when they're not kicking out millions of spores and kind of grind them up and put them into the uh, the nutrient mix for the hydroponics or the aeroponics did that work Creative thought. Um, I don't know if a dehydrated mushroom, you know, and, and making maybe mushroom powder would be a supplemental. I, I suppose it could be. I, I would have to look more into that. But we do use a nutrient company that's very local to us, a very famous one, Jack's Nutrients. They have, it's an Epsom salt sort of, they have their own lab. I mean, they're, they're a really great company to work with. They've come out just to see the farm and check out what, you know, cool stuff we were growing here. And that is the, uh, that's the, uh, supplements that we, we would use just just in flowers oh so you you do use like a mycorrhiza a liquid nutrient for the flowers or or you don't it's a powder it's a powder system it's like an abc powder system that you have to measure way and check parts per million so you it's it's like a couple step process but you have to change out the entire reservoir every like biannually you know just to make sure that the nutrient system is there because obviously the, the plants absorb it and it goes away hmm, okay in terms of nutrients, like is your aeroponic or hydroponic system really hungry for nutrients? Like, what do you have to put in, and how often do you refill it? How do you monitor? Biweekly reservoir refill. 
Um, and then we have uh, PPM or parts per million, like uh, it's like a digital read on how it is. So you can see, you also, you also learn how to read your plants, you know, like any other farmer, you know, you can see, you can see when a plant doesn't look healthy or when it needs something and you, and you, and you read it that way. And, and so we monitor it both mathematically and, and visually, and that's really how you do it. Okay. I mean, what, what if um, certain plants like preferentially eat uh, certain nutrients in the mixture and then it becomes uh, distorted or too heavy in one nutrient or another or depleted in one nutrient or another? Like, how do you know that? Say you typically would see the, the leaves turning purple-ish. You'd see the flowers having a little bit more of a pigmented speckles. I, I would say that. But I mean, they're, generally they're, they're pretty pretty happy. You know, it's a, it's a low acid. So we also monitor pH levels constantly. We have blue lab pH monitoring systems here. And uh, you have to make sure that the pH level is, is not because you don't want to burn them. So you keep it very, very low. Oh, okay. So you just monitor basic things, pH and maybe a couple other things. And uh, you can see when they go out, like I would think microgreens, probably not. They would use the same kind of nutrients, but you know, any vegetables that you grow and, and fruit, you know, or produce the whole vegetable, maybe the needs of the plant would change. And Therefore, what's in the water? The only thing, the only nutrient system that we use is just for the aeroponics. We don't have any other supplements in the micro side or the mushroom side. And that's only because technically the nutrients are the food. In the microgreen side, the food is the soil. On the mushroom side, the food is the fruiting block, which is, as I said, the, the, hardwood, the hardwood pellets in the soils. Okay. And well, any... Um... Anything about the aeroponic system that, uh, I don't know, is tricky or that you have to work on? You have to clean out the, um, you know, I don't know how you spray the water onto the roots of the plants, but um, you know, do the nozzles get clogged or like what, what do you have to watch out for in such a system? Yeah, so we use uh, reverse osmosis water here so that, that, you know, there's no calcium buildup in there because that, that is definitely something you can be concerned about is, you know, you get a clogged system, you get a backlog or you now it's spraying all over your place. Um, so you got to make sure of that. The roots sometimes can get thick on some of them. And then you got to make sure that you have, it's, I don't want to call it like a stick, but it's like a, like an, a jabbing agent to just relieve the pressure so that air can be, you know, sort of sucked in and then it doesn't overflow on that end. I mean, the nutrients, as I said, you know, you just do that biweekly and you just kind of check the PPM. You know, what we've done, you know, John and I have strived very, very hard to automate our farm as much as possible. You know, if there's one thing you can't get back more of in the day's time. And as I said, you know, having toddlers and being both farmer and mom, time is never, never on my side. So we've done our best to have pH automated, to have the drip systems automated, to have the reservoirs automated, you know, all that kind of jazzy to gain back time to be a family. Okay. So what, um, and then your customers are, I mean, do you guys eat what you produce or it's mostly sold to, to different customers and are they restaurants or are they like, do you have a CSA or how do you work? No. So we are direct chef wholesale. So we are in private sector chefs, country clubs, restaurants, catering companies, bakeries, charcuterie companies have used us. I mean, so, so we're, we're on the wholesale side direct to the chef. Do we enjoy our product? Yeah. I mean, of course. I mean, I, I nothing better than a five o'clock cocktail with flour in it. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I mean, I, I love mushrooms and I love, you know, introducing mushrooms to some of my friends who, you know, they, they tell me they don't, they don't eat mushrooms. And I just say, you haven't had someone cook them right. And, and then you should change it. For <laughs> but 99% of our product is definitely sold and out the door. 
Okay, so you you so you wholesale the chefs and they use it in the meals they prepare, the microgreens and the edible flowers and stuff, and the mushrooms too, right? Correct. That's really cool. Hmm. Thanks. Um, <laughs> economically, like, uh, are any of them better than the others? Are they just all different, or like, how does that work out for you guys? Like, what's is your goal? Just, I mean, well, what is your goal? Is it just to provide this local, you know, healthy grown food, or are there other goals you have in mind? I mean. I think the long-term goal would be to, you know, if nothing at all, create maybe a legacy of, of some sort for maybe my kids in the future. I think there's definitely something to be said about locally sourced. And I, I definitely believe that the pandemic probably accelerated that idea and concept and value behind it with, you know, broken export chains and just not having product available to you because it's coming from so far away. You know, so on the edible flower side, for example, you know, a lot of my people used to have to ship them overnight from California and they would either come half wilted or half frozen and it cost a fortune to ship. And so we were able to fill that void. I mean, our, our product is going out pretty much 24, 48 hours after it's harvested. And there's, wow. there's, there's value in that, that freshness. Whereas, you know, some of my restaurants are used to some of these distributors and the product has already been sitting on the shelf for a week and and then they got to try and make it last another week and it's it's a struggle it's 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 there and there's something also to be said about knowing your local farmer now you know exactly where your food came from we do farm tours with our chefs when they want to come and see it we're proud of what we're doing here and you you develop this relationship with them i i love my team of chefs they're they're such great people and what they do with the product. And it's been fun. You know, everyone's like, oh, you should hire someone to do your deliveries. And honestly, that's when I get to chat with my chefs and see the product as they're plating it, or maybe even have a conversation about, you know, like every quarter, like, hey, the menu's changing. How about I suggest this? Or what about that? And it's, it's fun. It's, it's really fun. It's really fun. That's really cool. I don't know. I know it's your own product. It's your own baby, but how much better does your stuff taste or how is it different from, you know, Store bought stuff. You know, I, I I never like to compare our product to someone else's just because I think that that product has its own story. But I would like to say that the longevity of the product, because it's so fresh, is what makes us stand out. The concierge-ness to it, where you are talking directly to the farmer, the grower, and working together. And I, I think that's what maybe separates us. I mean, you got to understand, I also live maybe 25, 30 minutes outside of Kennett Square, which is the mushroom capital of the world. So people originally think you're kind of crazy growing mushrooms, but, you know, there's, there's kind of, there's room for everybody here. Everybody's got to eat. And, you know, it's, we're not for everyone. I, I, I guarantee like Chipotle is not going to buy my flowers for their tacos. Yeah. But, you know, that said, you develop these relationships. I mean, I haven't tapped into half of the restaurants in, in the Philadelphia area, no less my suburban area. So. Oh, wow. Yes. It's wild. It's, there's, there's a lot. That's really cool. How long have you been doing this for? Company stamp, we'll say October of 20, maybe November of 2020. And so now we are about to embark on our second year and we're on our third expansion, actually. So G1 is, you know, microside. G2 is edible flowers. And although mushrooms were originally in G1, we are making a double fruiting chamber. So we'll have Either we're going to have it super big up here in G3 and the build out that's going on there, or we're going to keep both, but it depends. We'll see how things kind of portray with that. It's, it's currently under works and construction. I guess a, a, a family joke would be, we don't have much room left in our house. <laughs> Touché. I've never heard that one. I'm going to use that for sure. 
<laughs> um, are you going to go maybe into aquaponics too? Like have any fish for sale or is that a whole nother literally kettle of fish? That is a whole nother world um, that I am not going into. I, I've, We've, you know, we've aggressively expanded in the last, you know, two years. And I kind of want to see how these all kind of work out. I hate to say never, never is never. But I currently at this time have zero interest in going into aquaponics. But fascinating system and how it works, though. Yeah, very interesting. So for people that aren't near you and can't get your produce, but let's say they're worried about the upcoming potential food shortages, what what can they do to just dip their toe in and get started? Should they... Go with microgreens? Should they try mushrooms or flowers? Like what's what's a good start for someone that doesn't have much time and is a newbie and is afraid to do much? I would start with a micro with the with micros. But mushrooms are very time consuming and complicated and you need a lot of equipment with that to, to create sterile environments. So microgreens, just you know, a little bit of soil, get some seeds, water them, harvest them, you know, and uh, let it rip. You can go with that. And you know, the flowers. If, you, if you're living in an area that can sustain it, you know, temperature-wise outside, you can, you can grow it outside or even inside its soil, really. Just, you know, make sure that you're using organic measures. You know, you don't want to use toxins and chemicals like a miracle grow kind of stuff like that. I mean, because you're going to ingest it. So just be cautious of those things. And one of the last questions, um, what are the major inputs that you need to run your operation? Like, I guess you have to buy seeds from microgreens, you know, and at various times you have to have water you have to buy nutrients like what are the major inputs you need to your system water is one electricity you know because we're using tons and tons of grow lights um so you got to have energy so output of energy and yep you're going to need seeds for sure that can that can add up for sure especially on the microgreen side on mushroom side, you can buy agars or liquid cultures from different companies, which, you know, up front will cost you. But once you learn how to expand them, you can expand them further. Yeah. And I, w- I would say those are kind of the ba- energy, water, seeds, and then, you know, a few other kind of random stuff. And you, you, can, you can get going. Just depends on what kind of scale you want. I got you. Yeah. Have you tried to make your own seeds? Or is that, again, a, a whole other world that takes a whole different tax to do to make seeds for yourself? Interesting enough, you should ask that question. Just today, one of my violas actually pumped out some seeds. And so we are going to probably keep the seeds and, and, and dry them out for use. However, on our level, the amount of time and volume I would need on seeds, it's definitely a, another realm that would, would save a lot of money, but just fiscally and space-wise, it's, just, it's, it's not possible on the volume that we do. Hmm, I gotcha. Well, in the future, if you build the tea lush mansion, you know, and you have half of it for the farm, it could be a lot bigger, but not yet, right? Not yet. Not yet. Um, you know, commercial leases are, they're scary. They're really, you know, we have, we have a family, we have two toddlers. You know, as I said, this, this is my full-time job here. And so before I enter into a three to five year lease with, you know, again, I have to make sure that the temp temperature and the humidity and the control in there. And you, you look at some of these commercial leases and, and the ceilings are 15 feet high. You got to, you got to really make sure you're committed. And I wanted to be sure that I maximized, you know, we, ca- we have this sort of funny saying here at, um, at our farm here that we are breaking the mold of what you think of a stereotypical farm by the square foot, because, you know, we're not measured in acres, we're measured in square feet. And so before you increase that to a large capacity. I wanted to, I wanted to play it safe. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. 
definitely want to play it safe. I think the pandemic kind of taught us all a lot to be a little more conservative. It'll be funny is if you calculate cubic centimeters the size of your farm and express it that way. You know, like we have a, a three billion cubic centimeter farm. Just it, would, it would make us sound bougie, right? Bougier than we already are. Like, yeah, yeah. The metrics on our farm are fabulous. I mean, we're we're killing it in, in millimeters. <laughs> <laughs> well, very cool. Um, what's the best way for people to find out more? You know, on YouTube, is it just they should look for what Tilush Farms? Uh, um, I would say we're, we're, website, most, we're most active on Instagram. Definitely some fun videos and antics over there. You know, it's, it's hard to keep up with all the socials. Our, our website, you, know, you can contact us directly through that. That's um, tolushfamilyfarm.com. And then our handle on Instagram is at tolushfamilyfarm. Definitely great ways to reach us out there in DMs as well. See the fun videos, what to date. YouTube, you know, we had to take a kind of a backseat on, on the YouTube channel just to focus on, you know, expanding, but we do plan on getting back to that. So that'll be kind of a fun future vamp. Um, but yeah, that would, that would be the best way. Instagram or through our website. Very good. Katie, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and, um, you know, being so open about what you do. Thank you. I appreciate you having me and um, have a great day. <laughs> Remember, before you go, to grab your one penny bag of pine pollen for all the amazing all-natural hormonal support that men and women the world over are raving about. Try it out and see how it works for you. All you have to do is head to GeniusPollen.com to grab your bag today. Within days, you may be able to notice greater energy, more focus, added recovery, and more. Again, please visit GeniusPollen.com to learn more now. Thank you. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.